0: And welcome back to Life on a Mission podcast. Thank you for tuning back in. Uh, This week's guest is Carson Troutman. Carson Troutman is a Bible teacher at the Christian Academy of Louisville. Um, I actually know him through high school as well. Uh, He's got a wonderful family, he's got a lot to say. And we got to sit down for a lovely hour and talk about pretty much um, (laughs) all there is to talk about, essentially. Uh, It was a great conversation. I learned a lot from him. I feel like you'll learn a lot from him, too. Um, But before we get to that, uh, subscribe to the uh, podcast, please. Um, Follow me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, things like that. Uh, Keep up with our updates and everything, and when we release episodes, which guests we're having on, things that we're up to. um, Engage with us, ask us questions. um, Do all that, yeah. But... Again, this was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. And last but not least, if you feel like donating to this podcast, um, you can go to the Patreon page and you can give a dollar, $5, or $10 a month. Um, It's a really good deal because basically what we do with that donation is we give it to a charity every month. Um, Whoever's represented on the podcast, basically we give it to them, and you get to be a part of that. I think it's a really cool deal. Anyways, this is Life on a Mission podcast with Carson Troutman. Please enjoy.
1: Carson Troutman, thank you for being on the podcast, sir. I appreciate it. No problem. So we went to the same high school, but you have a pretty unique story, and I, I just wanted to give you a platform here to kind of talk about it and everything. But uh, I think for one, though, um, it's a pretty unique situation to, to kind of go through what you went through growing up, but then to somehow come back into a situation where you're definitely trying to benefit others. I just think it's unique. But um, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and everything, and you can go ahead and tell a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So as uh,
2: um, as Drew mentioned here, I went to Cal, um, got kicked out of Cal, and then <laughs> now I teach at Cal. So it's a bit of a unique situation.
1: And you teach Bible, no less. Yeah,
2: I teach Bible. So I... I went there. I got kicked out. I actually, I tried to get back in. I got kicked out my junior year. Tried to get back in my senior year. Mm. They wouldn't let me back in. But now they let me teach there. So it's a weird
1: situation. <laughs> now, looking at it now, um, it's definitely weird to think about. You know, you getting expelled for this, but you got a, you got kicked out of Cal for smoking weed, which yeah. is now approach differently nowadays well not
2: just smoking weed but the the cultivation of you were yeah (laughs) you grew
1: it too and uh by a stroke of luck too um what was it that like you almost got in a lot more trouble than you did
2: yeah so one of the big things that turned out well for us was we were all under 18 all of us that ended up getting arrested so we were juniors uh, most of us had just turned 17, so been a year later, we'd be in more trouble. But even if you're under 18, you can still catch a felony. Uh, we didn't look into this at all because we were kind of screwing around, and we weren't yeah. professional. You well, know, what 17-year-old grows. is like looking into the right <laughs> legalities just, of- I had a friend that basically looked up how to grow weed on Google, and then <laughs> we uh, started it at his house, and we took it out um, hmm. into the woods. And we found out later that five felonies, or not five felonies, but five plants is a felony in the state of Kentucky. We grew exactly five initially. The day before we ended up getting arrested, one of them died, and we had pulled it out, got rid of it or whatever. It was gone. And so we ended up getting a misdemeanor, which led to not that much legal trouble. So the school found out. We got kicked out of the school, but we had to go to court and we had community service and some counseling sessions we had to go to. But besides that, not a lot of legal issues and we got to get it expunged off our record. So if I apply for a job or a school or whatever, I can say that I don't have any outstanding
1: charges or anything like that. Do you, uh, do you feel, um, differently about your situation now with the way that, you know, we're looking at marijuana these days? Like, I mean, there are, there are uh, businessmen now who are growing, you know, hemp for CBD oil and products like that, and now it's becoming this medically beneficial phenomenon where people are starting to praise it. Now, do you feel differently now?
2: Yeah, it's a really complicated issue. Kind of what I was taught growing up is that weed, just as a blanket thing, is is totally wrong, and it's just like alcohol, you know, in the same yeah. way you shouldn't. Get drunk certainly as an underage, you know, teenager. You right, also right. shouldn't get high. But marijuana is not exactly like alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. Even the experience of using it, but also the different ways you can use it. So now, even right. within Kentucky, hemp and CBD oil being legal, that's not stuff that's connected to getting high. Right. Um, it's it's more of a. It's like THC is issue.
1: the uh, chemical compound. Yeah, it's, it's absent of yeah. THC. Um, yeah.
2: They are working on and. Kentucky and they passed it obviously in other areas of the country medical marijuana mm-hmm. where like uh, you could use it as pain relief or cancer patients that are going through chemo can use it to mm-hmm. get their appetite back and mm-hmm. I think that there, there can be some good uses for it but in my position I wasn't thinking about all that I was just right. trying to get high and was way into that in a to an unhealthy level mm-hmm. as far as um just escaping from reality and it Mm -hmm. really removed me from my family obviously removed me from any type of faith in God and consume my life in a very unhealthy way
1: so it was almost as if the product itself wasn't the thing that was really wrong in the situation but it was more so what you were trying to do that was wrong you were you were looking for a rebellious outlet Almost.
2: Yeah, I I don't think that weed, uh, I think weed could be used in some good ways, but I was certainly not using it
1: that way Mm -hmm. at all. So it was the mentality behind it that really kind of put you on that path. But then, you know, after the fact, um, you get kicked out of Cal, you, where'd you go to high school after that?
2: I went to Collins in Shelby County. It was actually the first year it opened up. So,
1: okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now you went on a path after that to return mm-hmm. to Cal to be a spiritual leader. Yeah, so what
2: happened from there, um, even before I went to Collins my senior year, we got kicked out uh, the end of junior year high school. We had about a month left. And so in, in some ways Cal was gracious to us, although they kicked us out. It was so close to the end of the school year that they led us Finish up school through home, so we would take home assignments, go in and take our finals and stuff like that. Okay. And one of the the biggest parts of my testimony actually came from a Bible class, um, which is I'm actually teaching the the class that. What's I What's the taking specific Bible. Bible class you're teaching? It was an apologetics class. We have okay. a, a worldview apologetics class okay. that I get to teach sometimes at the nice. school. Nice. But it was a it was a pretty simple assignment. We had to watch a video by this guy named Lee Strobel, who's very well known in mainstream Christian culture. But he was a an atheist journalist in Chicago. His wife started getting into the Christian faith, going to church, and he went with her and basically started going and took it upon himself to just show how ridiculous it was. And so he, he's a journalist, and so right. he started researching, interviewing all these people. And to make a long story short, he eventually, instead of showing that the faith didn't make any sense, he mm-hmm. became a Christian. And so we were watching his testimony, and then he also he interviewed this guy who's not really talked about a lot, but his name is uh, Charles Templeton. And he used to do ministry with Billy Graham. In fact, he was kind of the Billy Graham... Before Billy Graham, oh, they were uh, they were like partners. Yeah, they went on like the crusades. Yeah, yeah spoke to large audiences. But in the midst of his ministry, and this you know is kind of another topic, but people can get caught up when you're in ministry, mm-hmm. ministering to all these different people, not ministering to yourself, and mm-hmm. becoming kind of hardened in your own faith. He basically decided that he didn't believe anymore in what I think was a, an honest and right thing for him to do he's like i don't believe this anymore so i'm not going to do this ministry he didn't want to be fake and so i i respect that but he was kind of talking about some of the specific doubts that he had just questions that he couldn't find good answers to that caused Mm -hmm. him to walk away and so in the video that we had to watch for the class they were talking through those questions talking with him then they went to different scholars or professors who were giving answers Mm -hmm. and they gave good answers and I don't remember the exact answers they gave, but it it really laid an impression on me. And what it did, hearing the video and then the combination of my life was kind of shut down, you know, when you get kicked out of school and I have strict parents and I'm not able to hang out with my friend. I was all into smoking weed. That's all I cared about. Wasn't Mm -hmm. doing that anymore. I had to really evaluate what am I doing with my life? And so through that video, I began to evaluate like, man, do I really think that the Christian faith is true. Um because if it is true, then I gotta do something about it, right? I have to follow it um fully mm-hmm. instead of just kind of sitting in the middle like a lot of the crowd at, at Cal will do or just in cultural Christianity. Yeah. But if it's not true, then we just need to reject it. And so I really came to uh just a key moment in mm-hmm. my life at that point and I decided that Based on the evidence that I had and my experiences. And I, I think definitely the Lord was reaching out to me that I did believe it was true. And so I was going to follow it full fullheartedly. Yeah. So I, I, I had that experience about a month after I got kicked out and it was kind of a battle at first, but um, really miraculously, the Lord took me from being a pothead to having no desire to smoke weed again. a couple of my friends that had gotten arrested with me they got right back into it a few months later and so from there i went to high school and started thinking about what i wanted to do with my life and really felt and had other people affirm a call to ministry and so i ended up going to boyce bible college in town and doing a program there with southern seminary as well getting Mm -hmm. my degrees and then started working at a church and then was looking for and got the opportunity to teach at cal as a as an outlet of ministry
1: What did you study at southern
2: um i started On this worldview like apologetics tracks, from that video, I kind of had a passion for worldview and apologetics. My degrees basically ended up being the most general degrees you could get, but it allowed me to have a lot of electives, and most of those I focused on world religions and worldview apologetics, kind of defending the faith, answering tough questions, because... um, that's something I had a heart for just from experiences mm-hmm. that I had. And I, I had some encounters with Mormons when I was in college and so started really looking into other religions
1: and cults mm-hmm. and how to engage them. So that was okay. a focus. Cool. Do you think that, uh, do you think that because of those events in your life, like getting kicked out of Cal, getting put into that, you know, that whole in a situation, in a, in a sense, was the thing that helped bring out like that desire in you or do you think with or without that you kind of would have ended up here anyway
2: well i i've always kind of had the desire to to look into things and to think through things um a lot of the surface level positivity christianity that you get and you get a lot of that at cal right um that did not resonate very well with me. I was kind of opposed to that. So I had a lot of friends that they viewed their faith as basically just, well, you know, I look to God for help when I'm in trouble or if I want to do well in sports or get a job or, or whatever, stuff like that.
1: Are you trying to break that status quo at Cal?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a big, you have just a ton of people. You have some people at Cal that are very openly like deep into their faith trying to live out the gospel mm-hmm. and then you have some people that are being honest and outspoken about not caring at all yeah but most people kind of fall in the middle like I'm a Christian but it doesn't really have much of an impact on their daily lives so that's a big thing I focus on mm-hmm. the apologetics issue was something I actually encountered from getting kicked out of cow and so you could see you know part of God's plan working through that I, I got connected up with a friend through swimming in shelby county and he i invited him to church was evangelizing Mm to him but he was an atheist and a a very smart well-spoken atheist and he started throwing stuff at me questions Mm -hmm. arguments against the faith that i never heard before i kind of just assumed because of my upbringing well everyone knows this stuff is true they just choose to live it out or not to accept it or deny it but he had good reasons whether it's based on science history logic for denying it right and so that really had an impact on me and so i realized i didn't know how to answer most of those questions and so that led to me focusing on some of that in
1: my that's kind of like well i mean at this day and age when when ideas are not only like trying to be marginalized but if 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 your view doesn't agree with somebody's view nowadays they can be offended and they can almost tell you nowadays to not share that view Mm -hmm. like it's just it's just the way it is but it 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 makes you realize now like this is too big of a subject to kind of not really dive into yeah because so many people on the other end of the spectrum are willing to whether it's a loaded question or an intellectual question um, pretty much make all efforts to tell you that you're wrong and it's sad that that the culture in, in America right now, and at least the American evangelistic church, that we don't really make efforts in an apologetic manner to strengthen our faith. And I think that's cool that you're essentially back at Cal trying to do that. But do you think that, I don't know. Do you think that it's because everybody's life is somewhat going right at Cal that like, that they're not too passionate about, you know, what they believe in or things like that? Because it I, it almost seems like you getting kicked out of Cal was that kick that you needed to say, like, look, there's more to life than this, but it's not really happening with those kids, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of it. I think people at Cal, you can really lose, in America in general, you can lose mm-hmm. a, a sense of dependence on God because... You know, you're pretty well off. Everything's going well for yeah. you. And it's also though, just a lot of people aren't interested in thinking deeply about things and asking questions or, or challenging what they've always been told or mm-hmm. what they've always thought to be true. That's, that's pretty absent, not just at Cal, but in a, in a lot of places. Um, I, I, f- I found that, so this guy I talked to in high school um, he was this atheist that was willing to have these discussions yeah. and I tried to go out and duplicate some of those conversations. And that was a lot harder to do than I thought because a lot of people just aren't interested
1: right so so do you think is that one of your bigger challenges as a Bible teacher right now to try to kind of cultivate like those conversations or that passion like out of mm. your students?
2: Yeah, it is frustrating, especially dealing with high schoolers. I mean, you know how high school is. For the most part, people don't want to be there. They don't really enjoy being in the classes. They don't feel like they get a ton out of it. And there's Mm -hmm. some things we can do to change that. But I do have a hard time convincing my students to to think deeply about stuff or to ask questions that may initially freak them out, like, oh, man, I don't know how to answer these, but then would eventually strengthen their faith. Typically, if I have students that are willing to ask questions, they want quick, easy answers. And Mm -hmm. that's typically the questions don't have quick, easy answers. And so it takes thought. It takes time. It takes some wrestling through it. So that can be a frustration teaching at the high school level where they're not totally engaged, especially like you have been at Cal. Mm -hmm. um, You know how you have like your AP, your honors, your college prep. And so... Your college prep, you're going to have typically kids that don't care as much about academics and AP, and it's different for each level. And Bible classes, they're all mixed together. So Mm -hmm. I'll have maybe a few kids that are interested, um, a few that are kind of interested, and then a lot that just don't care. Yeah. So it's a difficult environment.
1: It seems almost like, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I just remember at Cal, um, I mean, my my classes there were awesome um d-nick was my apologetics teacher um dewey was one of my teachers as well but what still seemed kind of like you know getting a good grade in there is all fine and dandy and 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 learning that's all good and everything but you know your 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 grades and your act score and the degree that you go out and get like that's the important thing that's almost what i feel like was pushed a little bit more mm-hmm. with Cal and I don't know that do you feel that way now yeah we we're
2: actually trying
1: to I don't know what you remember from being in
2: Bible classes at Cal but the cultural assumption is that Bible class is supposed to be an easy a right yes and so yeah. we've been in the process um, we have a really good department right now mm-hmm. um, we've been in the process of reworking the curriculum to change that now what I'll tell students and parents is we're not trying to make it calculus, like it's not supposed to be ridiculously hard, but I'll get a lot of emails from parents or comments from students like, oh, I have a B or I have a C in this class, like, and it's like, it's my fault for some reason, because they just expect to get an A, so we're trying to make it to where they have to learn things that are a little more difficult, they have to do more critical thinking, they have to put in more effort, it's not just let's sit around and talk about our feelings and Jesus is the answer every right. time kind of deal so
1: that almost seems arrogant that you would that you would assume that it would be an easy a on one of the most important subjects in the world well, and they, even in a secular standpoint like mm-hmm. it's it's the it's the the subject right well they come in with
2: the mindset of we've heard this stuff all our lives so we already know it right and it's weird it's it's kind of contradictory i'll get one of two complaints that contradict themselves Mm -hmm. one is this idea that um i you know this is boring you know i already know this this is boring like Mm -hmm. why don't we talk about something new and interesting but then when i talk about something new and interesting then they start freaking out like oh this is too hard or this isn't what we've heard before like you right. must be wrong. Like, we had an example. We we did a unit in a class I taught last semester on the afterlife. Yeah. And we talked about the idea of Sheol, and kind of this intermediate state, mm-hmm. which is similar to the Catholic idea of purgatory. Right. But not exactly the same. And most of them have never heard of that before. So here you have a new concept that they're learning, having to think through. And their initial reaction, for the most part, is... Well, where is this guy coming from? Like, yeah. obviously, I would know about this if this was a thing. Right, and there is a little bit of a, an arrogance, like assuming I know everything. Mm-hmm. When you could go a lot deeper into it if you you chose to. Yeah.
1: So, when you find yourself, you know, diving a little bit deeper into subjects like that, and you think about how many people are struggling with that even adults maybe who are like i don't understand what you're teaching my kids or something like that do you ever kind of worry about uh, like our culture or like the people in our country or our family members and friends as far as their faith
2: yeah i mean i would worry about the culture of the church Mm -hmm. specifically um just in general there being a lack of depth Mm -hmm. that's uh that's a concern. Um, and part of it is just so many people, even adults, have a, a shallow understanding of the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, they view things like actually studying the Bible and deepening your knowledge and being regularly engaged in ministry. They view that as like that's the job of the pastor or the full-time ministry person. Yeah, We don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is the fault of the church member who would not seek those things out. But then part of it, I think is the fault of
1: the church leaders for not challenging them in those ways. Yeah. Do you, uh, with that being said, um, people ask me this sometimes and it's, it always comes down to um, salvation being black and white and everything. Like Mm -hmm. you're either saved or you're not, but it's like, how do you for sure? know? Yeah, And I guess my question for you is, um, what percentage of the American evangelistic church and the attendance would you say is actually saved for me? I'd say it's probably about 10 to
2: 15%. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a hard question to give an exact answer to. Cause right. you know, at the end of the day, you, you can't judge a person's heart. You can only see their actions and mm-hmm. you can, kind of judge their heart from then. So it's hard to, to make any kind of absolute statement, but I would say, I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about the numbers for American churches across, right. across the country, but I would say at Cal, that 10 to 15% number is probably correct as far as the students who are actually, mm-hmm. because we one of the first things we do, and this was in reworking the curriculum, In the very first unit of the first class freshman year, we now start out defining faith. Right. So what is faith? And most people believe that faith is connected with just what you believe or maybe some kind of decision that you made, right? Right. So I believe that obviously God Mm -hmm. exists. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And then usually with that is the decision to go forward at church or at camp and then Usually you're baptized after that. And Mm -hmm. so the idea is, okay, I've done those things. I believe this stuff. I'm saved. But we talk about faith as a full-bodied faith. And we kind of break it down into components. So we talk about the idea that faith obviously has to do with your mind. Mm -hmm. You do have to believe certain things about God. Now, you have to have a specific belief on the age of the earth or if the flood was worldwide or local right. No, but there are certain things you have to believe and this comes with apologetics you should be developing those beliefs and beliefs and learning more about God that's very important to your relationship with him yeah but then there's also the heart right so what are your desires and so the Pharisees Jesus would point out knew all of the stuff about God right but they didn't love him they were much more in love with themselves mm-hmm. and then you have your your actions, or we call it the hands and feet. So if you really, you love God, you love Jesus, you, you believe he's your savior, you believe he's your Lord, that's going to work itself out in the way you live your life on right. a daily basis. And so we try to emphasize that. So faith, it's not like, uh, okay, I've done these things, now I'm saved. Mm-hmm. It's not that I have to keep doing certain things in order to be saved and earn my salvation. But if you have a genuine faith, you're going to continue to live it out just like if you have a genuine love for your wife or your friends Mm -hmm. that'll continue to work itself out and it'll continue to grow Mm -hmm. on a daily basis it doesn't just remain stagnant
1: Mm. that's a good answer in all honesty that's a good answer because i i mean like i don't like to risk offending people like especially in church on like be like, well, what do you think? Do you think I'm saved? And I'm like, dude, I, I don't know. Like, like what are you doing with your life? And like, I usually tell people, you know, if you're, if your main priority is the pursuit of comfort, then I would argue that you're honestly wasting your life. Like in a sense where if you think the most important thing after high school, especially if you went to Cal is for one, graduating and then going to college, getting a degree, then getting a job in that degree, paying off your student loans, getting a house, getting a car, having a family, and then going to church every Sunday, and that's the extent of it, and your, your main mission is to secure yourself financially. I would argue that you're wasting your life, and God's kind of a, a means to an end in that picture. To, exactly, yeah. and and, and it, I tell people I'm like at that point, I would I would have some questions and conversations with yourself about whether or not you you are indeed saved, and I and I tell people like you know I'm not saying that you're not meant for a house mm-hmm. and a car, I'm saying that you're not meant to actively search for that over the the plan that has been given to you you know yeah. and i know it's hard to find that plan but like that's that's what all this is for you know well, well one of the early
2: on in my christian faith one of the events that shaped my wife my life um, <laughs> mm-hmm. in a major way was I went to to Passion? Have you been to Passion before?
1: Everybody except for me has well, been to Passion. You're not a Christian man, if you've not been to Passion. <laughs> <I know. laughs>
2: Gosh. Um, so I went to Passion. I've been a few times, but I went the first time my senior year of high school, so in 2011. Mm. And John Piper, a guy who started to and is still very influential in my life, he mm. spoke and he gave a sermon and there are a lot of points like most John Piper sermons, but yeah. the main point of his sermon is he was asking the question, what is at the bottom of your joy? And the specific question he asked says, do you, do you feel more loved by God when he makes much of you? Or do you feel more love by God when he enables you to make much of him? And so what he's pointing out there is depending on how you answer that question now, both are true, right? but there's a ranking. One of those is at the bottom. And so he would go through all these examples and Mm -hmm. basically ask the question, why? Like, why do you want this? And so kind of the example you were pointing out about comfort or getting Mm -hmm. a car or a nice house or a nice career or whatever, it's fine to want those things. But if those things are what's at the bottom of your joy, what ultimately is satisfying you, Mm -hmm. then that is that's not a good spot to be in Mm -hmm. and he kind of made the point you know talking about are you saved are you not saved what happens at the beginning of salvation and it's a journey is a new birth right right and he says that the new birth like what happens is all people just naturally we are at the bottom of our joy like naturally we are not seeking god as our ultimate satisfaction Mm -hmm. we're at the bottom of our joy but at the new birth, that's flipped. That's kind of turned on its head that we now seek out God mm-hmm. as our ultimate joy above all these other things. So,
1: What do you think it's going to have to take for your students and or at least for the American evangelistic culture to kind of catch on to that more? Do you think because I mean, you're obviously passionate about it and it's it's at the center of your life and how you're conducting yourself do people need to get kicked out of Cal? Do people need to, you know, suffer like that for a period of time to get a wake-up call? Or do you think, you know, this can be achieved in the classroom?
2: Um, I think when you go through traumatic experiences, you go through trials, that can definitely be one way that, that God works through that to wake people up. I mean, it certainly has worked and continues to work that way mm-hmm. in my life. But different people learn different ways. I think it is possible to do that in the classroom. Um, but do I think there's going to be a large number of kids who are born again or kind of get that concept just from sitting in a Bible class? I don't think so, but that's where you also have the, the really important relational aspect of, of teaching at Cal or ministering at a church that you form relationships with people. Hmm. Um, most of the, the most rewarding experiences i have as a teacher is not necessarily in a classroom setting but when i have a one-on-one conversation with a student outside of the classroom that's that's typically where i i see things start to click and it's because Mm -hmm. i have that relationship um so i don't know i mean it's hard to you know put together a formula to make any of this stuff happen but we try to do the best we can
1: i feel that um, I wanted to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions here soon but also before that I wanted to ask you about you know so you've been teaching a cow for how many years this is my third year okay do you uh I mean I guess I don't want to ask you if you like plan on doing anything else anytime soon but like is is this part of the vision for your life long term or do you have any any dreams or uh, visions that you're wanting to kind of execute in the future Well I, f-
2: I feel like I'm the Lord has gifted me in in teaching and and preaching and mm-hmm. I certainly have a passion for studying God's word or studying issues surrounding God's word and mm-hmm. whether it's teaching on those issues or having conversations doing ministry I want to do that in some capacity. Um, I get to do that full-time through a church outlet and mm-hmm. through the, the outlet at Cal. Do you speak a at a school. church? Yeah, I'm a youth pastor slash associate pastor. Where and at? It's a smaller church in the Fern Creek area. It's called Forest Park Community Church. Okay, cool. And so I'm over there, um, and it, it's kind of a lot to juggle. And right now, I'm, I'm definitely in still more of my formative years as far as my career and, and, mm. and figuring out what I want to do, but where I'm at right now, I have a lot of great opportunities to, to gain experience. And, um, I'm not, I don't have like a 10 year plan or I feel like God has calling me to do this. I'm, I'm just trying to serve mm-hmm. where I am right now. I would like to, I think be in a situation where I get to do more studying, um, potentially even some more writing mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, so that, that could either end up being like uh, going back and getting my doctorate, studying, studying a certain area in mm-hmm. a much deeper fashion, or it could look like being full-time at a church or continuing to be at Cal for a while. I'm not sure. I'm uh, coming out of a situation where I had a, a lot of jobs and I'm trying to say no to things and simplify yeah. things a little bit. But. Okay, cool. Um...
1: Oh, man, what was the question I was going to ask? (laughs) It totally just left my mind. It happens. Oh, gosh, what was it? It had to do with the church. Oh, do you, uh, before Joey Eaton moved to St. Augustine, did you ever hang out with him still? Because he pastored over at uh, um, Garfield Avenue Baptist Church. Yeah, I
2: he was a, a teacher there for a couple of years while I was there, but I okay. I didn't know him super well. Dewey, who still right. teach, I teach next in the room next to him, and I'm yeah. good friends with him. He knows him pretty well, but I don't I don't know him that okay, well. Okay, cool.
1: Oh, and here's the question I was going to ask you. All right, cool. So you made a major life turnaround in a sense kind of right after you got kicked out of Cal, when you went to Collins, you you were like, okay, I need to evaluate things. But here you are now, what, nine years later, eight years later? <laughs> yeah, it's,
2: it's flown by. Yeah, I just turned 26, so this is yeah, eight to nine years later. So
1: what have you learned now that you just, I guess – you didn't know at the beginning of that. Like, has there been anything shown to you, like, in your journey, like, even just recently, that you're like, man, I, I thought I knew what I was doing, but I had no idea what I was doing? Like, from when I, I first became a Christian,
2: like, yeah. in that first year? Well, a big thing was the apologetics issue. So, mm-hmm. I just I've been introduced to this whole world of there's so many different people around the world with so many different belief systems, so many different answers to the big questions of life and so yeah. I've been introduced to a lot of that and have tried to had to try to figure out how to deal with that and answer those questions. Um do people do people kinda challenge you even in the classroom? Um sometimes. Uh it it depends on the student or it depends on the class, but I have had I've had some challenges, um, a lot of the challenges just come from dealing with the, the subject matter that I'm dealing with, right? So mm-hmm. just a lot of issues that I have to, to think through. And I, when I first became a Christian, I had that encounter with some atheists that were asking tough questions, experienced a lot of doubt. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's still something that I experience on a, on a regular basis, even today. Um, because you grow up being told that certain things are true, or this is the way that it is, mm-hmm. and you just kind of assume that it's all true. But then you hear all these different perspectives, and
1: it's mm-hmm. it's difficult to evaluate all of that. Do you think apologetics is neglected um, as far as you know our upbringing in our Christian faith?
2: Yeah, I mean it's been neglected. It's it's coming on a little bit more in the church because the need has become more obvious. So mm-hmm. obviously secularism, atheism is growing in our country. Mm-hmm. And so the church is getting engaged in apologetics as a response to that. Um, and so you have a ton of resources, books, websites, podcasts that are dedicated, all that stuff. There's classes mm-hmm. in the church. It's touched on and you're at your regular Sunday services.
1: It still seems though almost that the apologetics... Um, pathway and then the the mainstream Christian church pathway are still kind of separate for the most part and I'm not making any complaints about like you know what I see on church on Sundays like I think I see a lot of great messages and stuff like that but it's it's almost as if um, more often than not I kind of see sermons that cater just a little bit more to our narcissism instead of saying like look this is what it is right and here's why and like we should we should be inspired by this and feel good about this but it's Mm -hmm. like listen there is a call to a certain discipline and responsibility with this sort of thing and we have to be careful not to get watered down Mm -hmm. just for the sake of our feelings or how we're feeling at the time
2: well we have a a difficult situation in modern churches especially bigger churches Mm -hmm. because the regular Sunday church service or Saturday Mm -hmm. um, becomes one of the biggest outlets for evangelism because you have so many non-Christians, whether they identify themselves or they Mm -hmm. in reality are non-Christians at the service. And Mm -hmm. so it's hard to go very deep into things when that's a major part of your audience. Mm -hmm. And so I think you see more effectively people learning apologetics and classes and kind of their own research or maybe groups when they're getting together with people or at school. Yeah. Um that's where you see that be more effective. It cuz some of it one of the biggest things that I've had to learn even through going to college, I'm I'm dealing with all these questions, I'm interested in all these questions, and so I assume, oh, there's going to be all of these like quick, perfect, super interesting answers when right. a lot of it's not that way. Like if you're going to Ask a question that has to do with like the history, the background behind the Old Testament. You're going to have to get into ancient Near Eastern cultural studies, mm-hmm. and this is not you know like a, a Netflix documentary that's right. super interesting and super entertaining. It's there's a lot of grunt work involved in it. Yeah, um, and so it's hard to do a lot of that in your normal
1: Sunday service. If you yeah. know what I mean. Is there been anything like what that you learned at seminary that you did not like to hear, like not like oh this is boring, but it's like I don't know if I like the the sound of that, or if like not even that you didn't agree, but you're like man I I, <laughs> I hate that that's a thing almost.
2: Um, I I definitely found with some of my questions specifically about the Bible, Hmm. the answers weren't as as clear as I would like. So for example, there's a question surrounding the Bible as far as which books belong in the Bible, right? Right. Um, if you're friends with any Catholic people you'll notice that we don't have the same books in the Bible. We have most of the same books in the Bible.
0: What do they have? They have the Maccabees the the
2: Apocrypha which includes Maccabees, Wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus. There's there's several different Do they
1: have the book of Enoch in there?
2: Uh, I think Enoch is one that's in there, yeah.
1: I want to ask you about your opinion on that book in a minute, but (laughs) you can continue.
2: (laughs) I don't know how much I know about the book Enoch, but there's a a ton of books that were written around that time, or Mm -hmm. you could debate, do they belong in the Bible? And so I'm looking for a pretty clear, like obvious answer. Oh, this is why we have the books that we have. And it, it wasn't really that way. Okay. So we have some criteria that Mm -hmm. we would do, that we would use to try to determine, you know, if these books belong in the Bible. But it ends up, it ends up making sense. Like if you Mm -hmm. think about when these books were written, Mm -hmm. the people that wrote these books, the early church that was using these books, they weren't thinking about like, oh, in 1500 years, they're going to be having a debate over which books belong in the Bible. They were just... Doing ministry, they were trying honestly not to be persecuted and prisoned and put to death. And so it was it wasn't till later on mm. when you had these different books that claimed to be gospels mm. about Jesus that they had to evaluate it. So the principle we would use: um, think about um, think about Yeezys. So you have yeah. genuine Yeezys and you okay. have fake Yeezys, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no one comes out and says. All right, so here are the Yeezys, and initially when they put them out, this is how you know that you have a real Yeezy and a fake Yeezy. Until the fake Yeezys come around, right? that's when you start saying, oh, well, we have to provide some test or give some criteria to show right. people these are the real ones, okay. you can distinguish them between the fake ones. And so that's kind of like what okay. we have for the Bible, but that was much more complicated than... Yeah initially I was hoping it would be especially as a young seminary student
1: okay okay now with the start of you know canonizing the bible and everything and and all the you know persecution that was at the beginning of the start of the first christian church that's not really something that at least to that extent that we go through here in america but do you think that that reality could change within our lifetime
2: um not on the scale that the early church had it, but mm-hmm. it can change a little bit. It Obviously, you see it with people are so bad at engaging others in political and religious discussions in our country, right? It it becomes much less about, hey, let's talk this out. Let's see where the other person is coming from. Let's mm-hmm. get to the truth. It just
1: becomes more of like a gotcha conversation. Let me. But don't you feel like with that happening that it's a, almost such a childish approach that with a childish behavior comes childish actions and it it like with somebody doing a gotcha argument or or getting offended so easily by that opposing idea mm-hmm. that people are going to throw fits in a way that's actually going to you know kind of try to marginalize that
2: Well, I think you see the childish behavior on both sides, right? There are a lot of Christians that the minute that, especially if it's an issue that is kind of in both realms of Mm -hmm. politics and religion. I agree. They're not going to be very reasonable in discussing it with people. But you do have, obviously, the potential dangers of the government kind of overstepping its bounds Mm -hmm. where people nowadays aren't just wanting freedom of religion, but they're also wanting freedom from religion. And so how far do we go with that? I mean, they just Mm -hmm. had the the bill in Kentucky yesterday that passed to keep In God We Trust in our schools. There we go. Obviously, there's a lot of people that aren't a big fan of that. If they took that (laughs) out, would I think that's a huge deal?
1: Not really. I mean, because in the end... I think it'd be like... It's not anything I'd freak out over, but I'd be like, oh, this is a step in a certain direction.
2: The problem you get, the only potential danger and persecution I could think of happening, and this is still nowhere close to the scale of the early church experience, mm-hmm. so you have, like, your situation with the bakery that was sued over not making a cake for I yeah. wedding. What if, as a pastor, I have someone come to me, in what context would they come to me? I don't know. And they say, hey, we are are gay and we want to get married and we want you to officiate our wedding. Yeah. If we come to a spot where I can't say no right? or the situation is the government tells me either you do it or you lose your ordination, that could be a big issue, right? I don't know if we're going to get there. There's been some worries about that. but
1: Well, for me, that seems a little bit closer than... Um. Than you might think, because I don't know. I I feel like with, you know, what's going on in politics nowadays, and what's like, I guess, just what's so emotionally charged on both ends is that you know we're we're trying so hard to to keep things one way, and there's such an an outrage on not moving it the other way that if somebody actually does get their way, that it might be taken too far in a certain direction yeah. you know what i mean so it's like it's like when trump's if he gets a second term or not when he's done being president like what's gonna happen after that you know They'll like try to go all the way to the other end so yeah a reaction. because it'll be it'll be a position that is that is up for grabs essentially and whoever gets that position it's gonna be like hey we're gonna just go go all the way now it's like we were just wanting to have these things but now it's like we're wanting to have like the whole freaking pie and not only are we taking a god we trust out off the dollar bill but we're taking bibles out of schools and we're taking like if you're an ordained minister and you don't marry a gay couple like you're going to be fined big time right but for discrimination
2: yeah that could be that could be a worry of persecution i mean the commonality between that and the early church is that ultimately the Roman government was opposed to Mm -hmm. the early church and many of their core values and their faith. And our government is definitely trending in that direction. But Mm -hmm. obviously it's not a good thing if that happens. But in the end, we we still follow Christ and we're still loyal to Christ. And that's ultimately all that's going to matter.
1: But now, like, when we bring that concept up, then that really makes you think about the the substance of of the the students in the classroom or the people of the American Evangelistic Church, what happens when when it hits the fan like that, who's gonna who's gonna who's gonna stay strong with it and who's gonna fall off and fade away. And that's where, you know, when we talk about apologetics and we talk about, you know, like diving deeper and not just having the easy Bible answers and the easy A that like if people actually do understand, like, hey, look, th- uh, you know, this is why we're teaching it. This is why we're kind of being as intense as we are about, you know, these certain subjects. Because when when you are put to the test and maybe somebody's going to tell you that you have to say no, you're going to have to figure out why you're saying yes.
2: Yeah, I mean, you got to be prepared with answers. And we've already seen many examples of prominent Christians who... Don't have good answers, kind of Mm -hmm. making a fool of themselves and giving answers that are not good and are embarrassing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean that that will show a need for apologetics. Um, But I'm as far as political issues, I (laughs) I need to be more into politics than I am. But I I certainly am not a political
1: expert. I don't know. I try not to. I try not to dive into it too heavy because at the same time. I can't I can't recite to you any particular legislation that goes on, right? I just I just know, you know, what is typically said over the media and what's conflated or like the polarizing issues that are happening and then I'm like, "Listen, you know, maybe we all need to figure out how to take a step back and how to dissect these things one by one." Mm-hmm. And that's all I can really say, but I think, though, we we definitely come out of a culture, I don't know about
2: with your family, but at Cal and at Southeast, it's very Republican. Yeah, for sure. So that's kind of, uh, everyone kind of leans that direction. That's been a major influence, and it can sometimes be in an unhelpful way. Like we've even had, I've heard students say, in random conversations like do they allow democrats to teach a cow like can you be a democrat and teach a cow and it's like
1: you know um, mr ashcraft's yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, he's liberal he's
2: he's pretty openly a democrat and there are others as well and so i don't (laughs) yeah it's it can be uh you definitely see and we've talked about this in class recently Mm -hmm christians that are more loyal to the republican party than they are to christ and and that's an issue that i'm certainly
1: concerned with i think i think uh nowadays people are letting politics dictate their reality instead of letting reality dictate their politics because i mean in church you know like kyle item going to say all day like listen jesus is above the democratic and republican party like this is all nonsense like And for me to bring my political views over my faith into what I tell people, that's wrong. Like, it's good to keep track of what's going on in your country and everything like that, and to kind of have a certain position, like, with, I mean, with respect to the other position. Mm -hmm. But I think what I see nowadays is, is, you know, it it is like, oh, you're a Republican, then you're a Christian, or it's like, oh, if you're a Christian, then you must be a Republican, right? And and it's like, no, that's that's not true at all, you know. And but what I'm also seeing too is even though there is a a, a major conservative population in the church, I'm also seeing to where, you know, people are still kind of afraid to to say that out loud to themselves. Like if I'm like, oh, well. I mean like I would never really ask this, but it's like if I ask somebody did you vote for Trump or not, they wouldn't tell me. Yeah. And it, it and it's almost like the same way that they go about talking about Jesus or their faith like in whatever place that they go, it's like nobody's going to bring that up on their own unless you ask them about it. And that's where I'm like, okay. <laughs> are we going to are we going to kind of be bold in what we stand for with respect to other people, or are we going to kind of be wishy-washy and get washed away? Yeah, I mean, one of the big issues
2: with religion and with politics is people need to learn how to engage better Mm -hmm. with each other. And
1: that's what what you're doing. And that's where you're
2: going to get a lot with evangelism, and we need to do a better job as a church and a school practically teaching people this you're not going to really have a situation unless you're on certain parts of the mission field Mm -hmm. and other countries where you stand up and you're like preaching a sermon and you're telling someone about the gospel for the same time. You have to have a conversation with someone and that needs to start with you developing a loving relationship with them and really figure out where they're coming from, Mm -hmm. show them that you, you hear them, you actually understand them. But because you care about them, this is something you want to discuss, and you you want to talk through it with them, and I don't think the average Christian is very good at doing that, you know, and they're not even maybe necessarily looking for those conversations, certainly not with high schoolers.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm right there with you. do you... um Gosh, I get so deep into what you're saying that I forget my next question. You were going to do rapid-fire questions. You said yeah, like that's right. That's yet. right. But um, there was another question I was going to ask, and it made me think of that as you were talking, but then it literally just left my mind. Gosh, I'm so ADD. Oh, well, let's go ahead and get in the rapid-fire questions. Okay. If I think of it, then I'll do that. All yeah. right, so what is your
0: favorite book? Ooh, my
1: favorite book. Um.
2: I've been reading a lot of John Walton recently. Who's that? He is he's a professor at Wheaton College uh, okay. in Chicago. Yeah. And he, he specializes in ancient Near Eastern studies and, and languages, so he can sit down with like a Sumerian or Akkadian and read that like we're talking before Hebrew so I'm not necessarily into that stuff mm-hmm. but he's really influenced me recently in the area of biblical interpretation okay. so he has a whole series and I don't know if I agree with him on everything I'm still in the, the process of taking it all in yeah. but he has a series called the lost world series and they're pretty they're pretty readable they're yeah. they're definitely scholarly but they're pretty readable he has one on Genesis 1 can you get him on tape on tape, I don't know. I'm not a book on tape guy, so I, okay. I have no idea. I'm
1: a I'm a book on tape guy, like all day long.
2: I can't. I have trouble even just reading it right in front of me, like going down an entire page and not yeah. taking any of it in. So I, I certainly have to, uh, I have to look at it. But he has. It's on Genesis one, Adam and
1: Eve. I just read finished one today on the flood. Okay, um, that's my fit. Fa- honestly, that's my favorite book of the Bible. To be honest, like Genesis. It's so loaded yeah, with a lot of stuff, but that is cool, and his name is John
2: Walton. John Walton, So I've been, and we got to go to a conference that he was at recently and eat lunch with him, so that was cool. Holy crap. I don't do a lot of... Is he in Kentucky? No, it was in Chicago. Oh, actually, it was? Okay, conference. okay. We went up there as a department. I don't do a lot of novel reading. I need to get more into that. I have trouble, especially around March. A lot of my free time will be watching basketball especially as I feel that. the tournament
1: comes around as a UK fan and everything. So nice. gotta balance I, that out. I just remember the question I was going to ask you okay. earlier. So with you having gone to seminary, mm-hmm. okay, and then getting into teaching Bible at Cal with the rate of people who go into evangelism or like mission work um do you think that the pe the like that the people that are going nowadays for the majority are actually ready to do that now that you have been to seminary where you you are in the 100th percentile of being knowledgeable about the bible um
2: i think i think there are a lot of people coming out of seminary that are that are doing that i mean I'm only really connected to the the Southern Baptist world where you Mm -hmm. have like the International Mission Board or North American Mission Board. North American Mission Board is placing a large emphasis on church planning in big cities right Mm -hmm. now and so you're you're seeing some good things happen there and I, I think they're doing a great job of preparing people. I have a a friend that I used to go to church with, who's in Denver right now, mm-hmm. planning a church. I don't know if do you remember Sarah Reese. She was yeah. in my grade. Yeah, um, right there. Her husband is one of the pastors at that church, so oh, they, they moved awesome. out there. Um, yeah, she's cool. So you see a lot of that, and you see a lot of international mission work. I'm not. I don't know a lot, to be honest, about that type of mission work, though. I've never been on an international mission trip. I've been mainly focused on ministry in louisville that's kind of what I felt called to well
1: so i asked that because um i went on a mission trip to catania sicily almost two years ago now but it, i was there all summer and uh i mean outside of my high school education at cal which was really good and helped me be knowledgeable and whatnot i remember being out there and thinking to myself like good lord like i know that i'm doing what i'm i've been asked to do and it's like a matter of the heart but like golly i don't know if i'm ready yeah and it was like not like uh not like i don't know if i want to do this it's like no i definitely want to do it but it's like i don't know if i'm like prepared the way i should be and i don't know if there's like if if that's just what a lot of people are doing
2: well i think you probably have a lot of people that aren't having those conversations aren't doing that work just where they are at home Mm -hmm. and then you you know travel a couple thousand miles and you're trying to do it there it's not going to translate very well although the the way you would go about things might be different mm-hmm.
1: but i think that definitely that definitely feeds into it i i just i think to myself sometimes because more often than not like whenever i hear about mission trips i hear about the positives all the time but I also hear about the negatives, and a lot of the negatives to me are hearing about, <laughs> like, like um, argument, like silly arguments happening over how somebody is like conducting themselves in a way where it's like it's just conflicting personality issues. But then also I hear stories about like. Guys uh, getting sent home because they they can't handle themselves around girls and being in a new place like that. Oh, like with high schoolers? Yeah, with high schoolers. Yeah. Or even when I was in Catania, Sicily, there was another uh, church group that was out there. It was a different church. Mm-hmm. This guy was my age, though. And he couldn't handle himself. Yeah, He was my age, and he kept like confessing his love for this girl and everything. And he's like, I just, I need to be with you. And I'm like, this is not, where are we? This is not the place for that. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, we're sending people like tons of kids out regularly like this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's like you have to be prepared in a major way to be a deacon or an elder at a church. Like you have to be, you have to have some credentials on a serious note, like at least at Southeast, mm-hmm. you have to be um, a one to be a, an elder there, and I'm like, okay, so if they're just help helping with like the administration or whatever they're doing at church, why are we? I don't know. Why are we sending kids to work with third world country situations? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like what? Wait are we going to plant a church out there? Because we should probably have some elders going. And I, it's just a small tangent that I have right now. And it's kind of thrown me into some confusion because, um, there are a lot of organizations that do a lot of good, Mm -hmm. um, with youth going on mission trips. But I'm like, I just wonder if, when we neglect, Diving in deeper to our faith with for the sake of like apologetics and whatnot, if we are spreading ourselves too thin, you know, yeah. by by doing these things, letting ourselves get watered down or lukewarm and then kids just quit.
2: Yeah, it. I mean, it can seem pretty haphazard at, at some times.
1: That's just yeah. That's just a rant of mine. But yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. But uh, (laughs) but yeah, back to the rapid fire questions then. Okay. So we got what was his name again? John Walton. John Walton. I'm going to keep that in mind because I do want to read about that. Um, What is your favorite uh, movie or top three movies? Ooh, me and my wife have just been on a little
2: stint of watching these oscar movies so we watched bohemian rhapsody last night and the stars what'd you think born. of that um i thought it was good um it was cool to kind of go back and relive some of the queen songs and kind of mm-hmm. see that history um i thought that the guy that played him did an excellent job definitely should have won they have Best a lot Actor. more hits
1: than i knew about
2: yeah yeah it's it's pretty crazy how many songs they had songs that were their songs i didn't even know were their songs and that
1: uh i wanted all song uh-huh yeah i didn't know that was a queen song and I then radio gaga
2: i didn't know that they had a song that was literally called i'm in love with my car so yeah me too <laughs> yeah so they were they were huge um and then a star is born
1: it was good it was it was sad but mm-hmm. it was it was very well done i went and saw that with my family and all the girls i mean like almost my whole family went and saw it together right all the girls in my family were crying and then all of the guys in my family were like well that was a good nap right (laughs) but i watched it intently and and i i thought it was amazing but it was like i don't know i i think it was either like a tearjerker for girls or like guys are like i'm not into this but
2: yeah my wife definitely cried it was uh it was good. It My was sad. It's
1: not one that makes you feel yeah. all happy after you finish watching it. But My mom keeps watching it. Oh, and she meant to rent it uh, on our DirecTV, but she just ended up buying it.
2: I think it's probably a one-time watch. Maybe watch it again down the road. I,
1: Do I you think know. that there's something going on with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga?
2: Well, I mean, most people would assume so after the live performance. You don't ever really know, but... That was wild. It <laughs> was wild. <laughs> The, the way they're looking at each other—that would be so difficult. Because be. Bradley Cooper's married. I think he just says. I think he's just dating someone. Oh well,
1: yeah, whatever.
2: I don't. I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not uh, up on all my Bradley Cooper facts, but that would be so difficult to be married to someone who does, you know, to be an actor <laughs> and to watch or, them have that chemistry with somebody on stage. Yeah, yeah. Or married to someone that's in a band with. Someone else that they could possibly be romantically interested in, especially if they're singing love songs it's a, that would be difficult,
1: yeah, jeez, any other movies
2: um I mean, I really like Lord of the Rings. I went back and and watched those again mm-hmm. um but with most of my free time now I, I watch sports and and kind of stay up nice. on that cool so, um,
1: what's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
0: it could be
2: multiple piece pieces. Well, um, I got a really good piece of advice from a friend when I was starting to, to seriously get into dating mm-hmm. um, that, that really helped me, I think, in my dating relationship with my wife. But he basically said, kind of pointing out a big mistake that we make even in the Christian culture. Mm-hmm. He said, Don't, if you treat your dating relationship prematurely like mm-hmm. a marriage, then your breakup is going to end up being like a divorce. So it's going to end up resembling a lot of the effects of a divorce. And so that was something I really took to heart. I I was in a relationship that it wasn't even that long and wasn't super serious, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. But I definitely was way more torn up about it than I should have been. And it was because I was way too into it way too early. And so that that really helped me um, as
1: I got to reflect on that and... I know there's not a science to it, but there's definitely, like, levels of opening your heart to somebody that we definitely don't take time to analyze.
2: Yeah, when you just jump right into... Before you even dating someone, you're in this, like, talking stage where you're just texting them Mm -hmm. every minute of the day, constantly calling them, hanging out with them every Mm -hmm. week you're beginning to hang out and talk to that person more than most married people would hang out or talk with each other. Mm-hmm. And in some levels, that's not healthy.
1: Yeah. Especially when you jump into stuff physically way too early. Do you think our generation kind of turns dating into an audition? Um, well, I mean, certainly on The Bachelor they do. but Which is insane to me that I will hear I'm sorry if I hear the complaints that I hear on a daily basis about how all men are trash or like all of the stuff that I I just hear and then I see you on Snapchat getting glasses of wine with your girlfriends to watch a guy cheat on girls Mm -hmm. like for a television show that throws me into such a loop like into such an aggravated loop I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah the bachelor
2: is definitely a a twisted situation. That's
1: I, one of the most backwards things I've ever
2: seen. It's not, it's not real life though. So, like, I don't think in real life it's necessarily seen as an audition. I mean, I was, the, my approach to dating was definitely, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that tries to step back and look for as many clues as possible and mm-hmm. to try to, um, look for any evidence before I make rash decisions. Yeah. I think a lot of relationships, Start out on the friend level and then kind Mm -hmm. of gradually progress from there. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's Mm -hmm. been my experience. Cool. How long have you been married? Uh, It'll be five years in June. Nice. Five years in June. We're taking off for Italy at the end of the summer. What part of Italy? We're going to go start... Towards the south in um, Naples, and then nice. kind of go up. So we'll go to Rome and to Florence, Tuscany area, then go to Cinque Terre, I nice. think is how you say that, and then end up in Venice. So nice.
1: That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so if you could give the audience any piece of advice or you could tell them anything about yourself and who you are, what would you want them to know?
2: So who, I guess... Primarily
1: what, what is your audience or who My grandmother. Your grandmother. Okay. <laughs> She's my biggest fan. But seriously, it's like it, it really is just like all kinds of people. Um do you know who Stu Perry is? Do you yes. remember Stu Perry? Yeah, he's been to Speak at Chapel. Mm-hmm. So, I had him on my podcast lately yeah. because not only does, you know, he's a Christian and everything, but, like, he's openly gay now, uh-huh. and he's a wrestler, so he's got a pretty, you know, just colorful lifestyle. Right. So, I had him on to talk about that, and, I mean, I'm getting people of just all different walks of life who will hear my podcast come up to me and be like, okay, look, I listened to that one, and I've I got some questions for you, or, like, yeah. that was... That was astounding to hear, or they'll have certain views on it. So it, the audience is diverse. So,
2: I guess I would say, like the kind of conversation that we're having right now, or the kind of conversations people like to listen to on podcasts. Presumably, mm-hmm. the people that are listening to this listen to podcasts. Right. Um, I think that it's very important that we we have these conversations mm-hmm. just in normal life. That we have them with friends, with people, maybe we don't even know that well and not just because people are going to listen to them or because it's our job or our hobby, but it would be something that we would do regularly because you learn a lot in having those conversations, you learn a lot in listening to those conversations agreed. I think that's something very, very important to do and listening to podcasts can cultivate that desire. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- I think that's really good, but just having these conversations and being able and being willing to listen to where other people are coming from and to talk out issues with them.
1: Agreed. Nice, nice, cool. So, what is your favorite music? Your favorite artist and favorite songs?
2: Um, music, I'm all over the place, man. Yeah. I, I don't listen to much rap anymore, just because.
1: It's just different.
2: Yeah, if, it's just different now. If they're talented, I, I can't get on board with a lot of the messages. Unfortunately, a lot of the quote-unquote Christian rappers are, are not super talented comparatively. Um, I mean, it's
1: just it. It's just I don't know. It, yeah,
2: I I'm unashamedly a boy band person. So I, <laughs> I actually my my favorite artist just in general. I can have different people that I'm into at different times, but. The one constant in my life is Justin Timberlake, for sure. I, I feel that. I love just about anything that he puts out. Um, he's
1: consistent.
2: Yeah, I like. Yeah, he's good. And um, I'm not saying our our worldviews necessarily line up, but I, I definitely I like him a lot. Um, I like the song "Say Something" with him and Chris Stapleton. Yeah. Well, now that you mentioned that, i I've, I've definitely recently gotten into. That genre of country. So, kind of the older style, bluegrassy type country from him to, um, if you know who Sturgill Simpson is, my man, Tyler Childers, any of those guys. Yeah. So, there's a a guy, I don't know how new he is, but, uh, there's a guy named Coulter Wall that's from Canada. He sounds the closest to Johnny Cash that I've ever heard. Seriously. Um, Okay. But he's like RIH and he sounds like he's Johnny Cash. I'll have to check him out. He's really good.
1: Cool. But yeah, no, I, uh, I saw, for one, I saw Chris Stapleton at the Great Lawn Mm -hmm. down on the river, right? Yeah. And then I saw Sturgill Simpson in the Ogden Theater in Denver, Colorado. Oh, nice. And so the Ogden Theater is a lot like the Palace in Louisville downtown, right? But it's a little bit more enclosed. But uh, years ago, that was probably three years ago. But yeah, he's I, a harder ticket now, huh? Yeah, All he was a guys. lot harder, but he was still really good then. But uh, I got stirred up hot box in that theater. No, oh. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I bet <laughs> it was it was wild, but it was so much fun. But uh, yeah, man, that's some of my favorite artists too. But uh, so yeah, Justin Timberlake, Chris Stapleton, Sturgill Simpson, anybody else?
2: Um, not that I could not that I could throw out there. I mean, it, it kind of just depends on the day cool but that's that's what i've been listening to now there's some pop or country but i don't like it when they get mixed together that's for sure <laughs> agreed
1: um last question do you have any favorite pieces of scripture that you live by Ooh.
2: um i've been doing uh the scripture in a year reading plan and that's been good but also Difficult, right because mm-hmm. you 're flying through stuff, mm-hmm. and then you also have to read every part of scripture, and when you do that, you find out that a lot of it's not super interesting yeah when you're reading nine chapters of genealogies and chronicles or you're reading Leviticus or you're reading the same stuff over and over again in the prophets, and most mm-hmm. of it's negative um, but i I mean the big one that would come to mind is is Romans eight mm-hmm. just as a as a chapter um, You like 28 through 30?
1: Because that's some of my favorite.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I like the whole chapter. There's a lot in there, but that's just a great picture of the gospel. Um, So I really enjoy that. I I like a lot of Paul's letters, um, like Ephesians 1 through 2 has been Mm. very uh, impactful in my life. Um, Philippians 1, the whole idea of to live as Christ, to die as game, but then the verses, you know, in the context of that right before and after, nice. Um, those are, those are some of my favorite, some of the most cool. influential.
1: Well, Mr. Troutman, thank you for being on the yeah, podcast. Man. I, I feel like I've learned a lot today and I know the audience will learn a lot, but uh, yeah, no, I wish you the best and everything on your endeavors and all that. And thank Thanks for you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, guys, thank you for listening. I hope you all learned a lot
0: today. Um, see you next time. Have a good one.